0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. So yeah, if you got a Bible, I encourage you to go to Matthew 22. If you don't have a Bible, the passage is on the screen. Um, we have a, a, a bulletin that's a digital that's always on our app. If you've never downloaded our app, I encourage you to do that. Um, so you can even take notes in that app. So as you're doing that, I just want to make you aware. So today is kind of the start, the launch of what we call our year-end giving campaign. We entitled this every year, or we titled it last year and this year, Next Chapter. And, and at the heart of what we're doing at these uh, end-of-the-year campaigns is we're just we're trying to raise raise some money and give it away uh, last year, we, we raised close to $50,000 and gave it to two no, new works, Sojourn Carlisle and Storyline Church with uh, Josh Wilson and them as they were sent out this past June. This year, our, our goal is to raise $25,000 and what we want to do with that is we want to build a benevolence fund. And the reason why we want to do this is because um, you know, this is where my heart is. We we don't know fully the financial impact that's going on with COVID. I don't think we are experiencing it right now. I, I think it will come. I do. And I and I do know of some families within our, our church as well as families outside of our church who are in need right now. And so what I want to do is uh, I want us as a church to raise $25,000 in order to fund a benevolence Fund that is preparing us for the need that we believe is coming. Um, I I personally feel it's irresponsible for us as a church not to not to take advantage of an opportunity that's going to be put before us in the coming months when we have families and individuals who literally cannot pay their rent or their mortgage or there's a threat, their electricity has been cut off or their water is being cut off and all we can say to them, well, we'll pray for you. And right now that's about all we can do because we have no funds to give them any help on their physical need. Where I'm at convictionally, that's a disobedience to what James is saying. That's that's a picture of what James is saying. is like, oh, yeah, well, brother, we'll pray for you, but don't have any means to help them. Man, that's irresponsible for us as a church. And so I'm trying to encourage us in this season of year in giving, next chapter, we want to raise $25,000 to get us ready... For the need that we believe is coming. A portion of that money will help us uh, put on an event um, called Affordable Christmas, which is an event we're going to do in December. We're going to try to do this yearly where we're uh, wanting to serve and love families that are in some financial need and provide for them a very um, dignifying way of having a, a Christmas for them. And so that'll happen on December the 12th and a portion of this funds will help us uh, throw that event. And so here's Here's my encouragement for you, all right? My my kind of next step. Encourage you to go to this website here, sojournchurch.com slash what's going on and give you a little bit more information about what we're trying to do. You'll be hearing more about this over the next several Sundays. Uh, you'll see a video with my big fat head on it here soon. So, um, but yeah, we, I'm just asking, um, and I and I realize as a pastor, here's kind of the, the tension that I feel. I, I know of specific people in our church community that have, suffered financially because of the, the, the impact of COVID in our midst. I, I get that. This has been a really difficult year for you. And so like, like hear me, I, I hear you and I don't want you to feel um, guilt or like this heavy burden that you've got to come through here. I just want you to know, man, there is grace for you. And at the same time, there are some in our community where this has been a really good year, uh, your business has actually grown and blossomed, and it's been really good for you, and not only your business, but where you work. And so wherever you find yourself, I'm just encouraging all of us to pray, to pray and say, okay, God, how do you want me to be involved in, in meeting some needs that we really believe are going to come our way in the next six to 12 months, all right? So you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks, but this is the Kind of the kicker-offer. Kicker-offer. That's kind of weird. The kick-off, whatever you want to call it there. so, <laughs> All right. Um, let's stand together in honor of reading God's Word. Chapter 22, uh, reading verses 1 through 14. So hear the word of the Lord. So once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. He said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who's, who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and and cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down their city. Then he told his servants, "The, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to this banquet. So the servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. And so he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we um, ask that you would help us as we look through this parable, God. Help us to hear your heart. And Lord, help your uh, word to examine our own lives. And we see that as as a gift from you in Jesus name we pray amen you may be seated so if you're if you're just joining us we're um, so this is your first time you've been here not been here for a while we're we're kind of um, in the middle of a conversation that's going on between Jesus and the religious leaders here so this all started in chapter 21 verse 23 where, where Jesus enters into the temple courts and uh, these religious leaders are 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 basically asking questions like you know i'm 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 paraphrasing here who do you think you are <laughs> you know you're coming in here saying all these things creating a ruckus like who in the world do you think you are and so uh what Jesus does in response to this is you have these three kind of sun themed parables they're all three together here so the the first one is the one with the two guys, two boys, two sons, you know, one goes and does the father's will, one doesn't. You know, one says, no, I won't, but he then changes his mind and he does what God wants or the father wants. The other one says, yes, I will. And then he goes off and never, doesn't do it. So that's the first son-themed parable. The last one, uh, the second one was one we looked at last week and it's where, you know, this, you know, owner of a vineyard plants the vineyard and has servants tend the vineyard and he wants to collect the fruit and they you know, ignore, ignore, and eventually kill, and crazy stuff goes on there. That's that's another sun-themed parable that he does. And then we have this very last one uh, where it seems to kind of increase in intensity is what we see here. And in essence, what seems to be happening here is that Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the religious leaders of this time for their uh, lack of Bearing fruit, and I'll come back to this later, bearing fruit that's in line with the kingdom of God and ultimately the rejection of Jesus. And he's speaking judgment to them. These are these are pretty hard parables. This is kind of Jesus' prophetic voice here that he's speaking. And so, I mean, I, I think you feel, not the hesitation here, but there's just there's something in me even as I've read this parable again that it's just it's hard, this is some heavy stuff that we're working through this morning, and so I want what I want to do here here's kind of where I'm at and i'm not hitting on every detail here in this parable and and part of that is just like when you preach a sermon you get you got about thirty minutes right i can't I can't hit on every detail and some of that is like I kind of like that because I want your lunch conversations to maybe hit on something that maybe wasn't I brought out, but it's great to have lunch conversations about that. your community groups can kind of maybe camp out in a place where you're where it kind of like stirred your heart in here. And, and even after we get done, I'm, I'm open to have some conversations with you. There's things that are going like, what is, what's going on here? Because this is where I, I want to land the plane. There's, a, there's sort of an, an epilogue, uh, for lack of a better term, that Jesus brings in in this parable that's unique. And you're going, what is going on here? And it's all about this guy not having the proper, like wedding clothes on, Right? Like, some bad things happen to this guy who doesn't come dressed right, you know? Like, I'm doing a, a wedding a little later this evening, and and one of the—this is the first one I've ever done on a Sunday, so uh, hopefully I'll be in tune and, and wherewithal—but one of the things I all always ask them uh, at the, the last PMC meeting I do, I, I say, hey, what is— what's the wedding party wearing? And that may be, sound really weird. I just don't want to come looking like a freak, you know, like really clashing with whatever theme they got going on. I don't want to wear a hot pink tie and everybody's in navy or I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just want to make sure I look like I'm supposed to be there. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, maybe, I don't know. I can't, I think you're laughing a little bit and smiling. So, so there's, there's an importance of sort of, you know, making sure you look, right and what you wear to a wedding. And I do think there's something here in this parable that is for us that has to do with wedding clothes. And I want to land the plane kind of better understanding what does that mean, this whole issue of wedding clothes, because that's why this guy got yanked out from the banquet. So like, just just briefly, so there's some similarities to this parable to the one previous. Uh, so a king wants to celebrate. I love how Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a, a feast. Isn't that beautiful? It's not to a funeral, right? It's like the kingdom of heaven is, a, is, is full of joy. It is a feast. I, I, I love, if you've never read Mike Cosper's book, Recapturing Wonder, highly recommend it. Just so encouraged that one of the practices that he put in that book, you know, it's just a reimagining of the spiritual disciplines, is basically what that book is, and why they're so important for us in, in formation. But I love that he has a chapter about feasting, you know what I'm saying? Because most of the spiritual disciplines all feel like, oh, you know, and I love that he's got a little chapter about. It. No, no, we need to practice feasting, like enjoying good food and good drink together on a on a regular basis, because it's a a a, a foreshadowing, or it's a it's a it's a way of awakening our longings for that day. And it was read, it says in Revelation 19, where the the church, the 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 bride of Christ, will will go and celebrate with Jesus Christ this this feast that we're headed toward. And so I just anytime. Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a feast. I'm going, hallelujah. Just gives me like some freedom to go and buy like Grater's ice cream instead of Walmart brand. Amen. It's like, I'm going to feast. We're going to get the best stuff. Like, all right, moving on here. So uh, I love that. So it's a wedding feast. and, And so he sends out servants to invite those who have already been invited. So this is like the second invite. It's almost like, we don't read this in the parable, but they, 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 were, they were gotten a save the date card, right? They'll say like, save the date. My, my son's getting married. We're going to have a big feast, and I'm going to invite you to it. And they all agreed. They sent in an RSVP and said, we'll be there. So everything's ready. The king sends out the invite, and they refuse. So once again, we see a, a reflection and a, a picture of the very heart of the father who's loves his people, very patient, gracious, sends out another group of servants. Hey, hey, come. The, The banquet's ready. And I don't know if you noticed that when we read it, but he even tells them what's on the menu. They're like, I really want you to come. This is what we're eating. Ox has been, you know, slaughtered. And I don't know if that's, tasty for you or not. I never had an ox, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, it might be really wonderful, but I've had cattle, amen? Like, I've had a cow, not a whole cow, but the portions. of But I love how the the parable says that that uh, the cattle, not not just one cow, it's plural there. That's why the, the CSB translates as cattle, because like this, this is going to be a feast. Like, my cattle, more than one, has been slaughtered. There's going to be some awesome meat sweats going on with people, amen? Right? It's like going to the the Brazilian place or whatever. So, uh, and he says, I just, I just want you to come and enjoy this with me. And then verse 5, look what it says. But they paid no attention. They don't care about the desire of the king. They don't care about the heart of the king. He took no notice, paid no attention. And went away, one to his own farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down their city. I mean, this is where the story gets a little bizarre, right? Because you get this little war going on, the city gets burned down, and the dinner's getting cold, Right? <laughs> It's like, we got to remember, right? Parables are made up stories, right? It's a made up story here. And Jesus is always trying to kind of get across a point and sometimes several points here about the, the kingdom of God, about the heart of God the Father, about what he wants from us. And so you gotta, there's not always a one-to-one correlation here. And so what Jesus is doing here, just like he did in the previous parable, in the previous parable, Jesus was foretelling what the chief priests and the elders were going to do to him later that week. They were going to kill him, take him outside the camp, outside of Jerusalem's wall and crucify him. And so also here he's foretelling what's going to happen to the city of Jerusalem. Israel's refusal that's that's seen in its leadership to not respond to God's call through Jesus would lead to the destruction of their own city, the city of Jerusalem, which we saw, we didn't see, but we know in history books that it happened in 70 A.D. Then look what the king does. Verse 8. Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Verse verse 9, go then to where the roads roads exit, the city, and and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. And the wedding banquet was filled with guests. And if you're reading this, like what I want from this or what feels kind of normal for me when I'm reading this parable is that it should end at verse 10. Everything kind of like, kind of lands like it's supposed to land. You know, it feels like, you know, the, the original servants that or the original vites rejected and there's judgment put upon them. And then, you know, the king is committed to his banquet being full. He wants, to, he wants to, the overflow of his joy to be experienced by tons of people. So go out there and find who, whoever you can find. Bring them all in, evil and good. And, and they go and do that and his banquet is full. I mean, he's ready to... To celebrate. And this is where, you know, I, uh, based on kind of what you see even with the previous parable, you feel like this is a time when Jesus looks at the religious leaders and, you know, throws one of those little stumper questions. Therefore, question, whatever it is, you know, it's like, oh, I don't even know how to respond to that. That's kind of what you're wanting here. And then there's this strange, like, epilogue that Jesus adds. And he says this, verse 11. When the king came to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. And so he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. He didn't say anything. And then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. what in the world's going on here? Right? That sounds kind of scary. <laughs> right. This guy's in the wedding banquet. He's thought he's all good. King shows up. Hey, buddy, how'd you get in here? You don't even, you don't even have the right wedding clothes. Like what in the world? What is Jesus talking about? What, what's this whole wedding clothes thing here? So to To kind of make sure we understand what's going on here, what I believe Jesus is trying to help us see here, we've got to keep two truths together. You you gotta hold these intention together. The first truth is this, and you see this in the parable. You can you can come as you are. The the invitation to come and feast with God. In and through his son Jesus Christ is an invitation that goes to all people. The the call is large, it's it's vast, it it, it comes to all people as you are. The 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 king is indiscriminate in his grace. Both what is what does it say, man? Hear that CSV translation. Both good and evil come. Come as you are. So look, look, we all I, Don't have to defend this or make an argument for this. It just takes a a few minutes for us to examine our own lives. We all have sin in our lives. Every single one of us, including me. We all have skeletons in our closets. We all have baggage from our past, sins that we have done and, and sins that have been done to us. For some of us, our baggage may be more like a carry on luggage. And maybe for others of us, it may be more like a self storage unit, right? But here's the point it doesn't matter. One amen. I know it'll be muffled, right? <laughs> just one. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how big your whatever you're bringing is. You just come. The invitation from the king is come and enjoy as you are. You don't clean up. You don't straighten up. You don't. I don't know. I, Whatever, you, like, this is the, the, the message, the good news, the, the grace of God that's been extended to all of us. Just, just come as you are. And the second truth that you have to hold together, you can't stay there. You come as you are, but you cannot stay There. Or another way that I've said it before is this. It's okay not to be okay. Like, we're broken people. It's okay to be messy and struggling and, you know, it's okay not to be okay, but it is not okay to be satisfied to stay there. Now, where are you getting this, Lyle? Where where are where you where saying this? What, It goes back to the wedding clothes. Why was the man removed from the banquet? You know, what is the question that the king asked him? Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? So what in the world is Jesus talking about when he says wedding clothes? Some people have interpreted like this, that the host in this time was responsible for providing a wedding robe. So this man's fault was in the refusal to accept what was freely Offered symbolizing the free righteousness that imputed in and through Jesus Christ. So, and we believe this. I'm yes, it's in the Bible. When you come to Christ, we say it like this what is true of Jesus is now true of you. God sees you through Christ. Jesus is fully righteous, so God sees you as fully righteous. Jesus obeyed all the commands, and that's true of him, it is also true of you. That's what imputed righteousness means. So yes, we believe this, but I I don't believe that's what Matthew's trying to get across here. I don't believe that's what Matthew means by wedding clothes here. And the reason why I say that is we gotta remember the context. There are three parables that Jesus is responding to the religious leaders and these three parables have a running theme and that running theme is fruit. Even though the only parable that explicitly says it is the middle one, the other two are implied. Parable number one with the son, the first son who outwardly said no, but later changes his mind and does what the father asked, the outward fruit is revealed in his inward conformity to do what the father said. The second son outwardly said, I'll go and obey you. But then what does he do? He does whatever he wants to. That's not the fruit that Jesus is after. He goes on. It gets more explicit in the second parable. And you see this. If you go back home and read it again this this morning or this this afternoon, whatever it is, you'll see fruit over and over in that parable. And even in verse 43, the judgment that he speaks to the religious leaders is this. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing, say it out loud, its fruit. And then you go to parable three, and what I would put before you is just another metaphor for fruit is wedding clothes. Why do I say that? Because it's consistent within the context. One writer says it like this, even though this man Belongs to the new group of invitees, right? This is the new group of people that are being invited into the kingdom of heaven. He is one who produces no fruit. And so no is no less liable to forfeit his newfound privilege than those who were excluded before him. He goes on to say, so to be a member of the new nation is no more a guarantee of salvation than to be born into the old Israel. It still depends on producing the fruit here symbolized by the wedding clothes. And if you would just, you know, read through the gospel of Matthew, just kind of like um, paying attention to where you see fruit, you would recognize that this is an overwhelming theme all throughout the gospel of Matthew. I'll highlight a few verses. Matthew 3, verses 8 through 10. I'll just jump into verse 8. John the Baptist, talking to the religious leaders, therefore produce fruit. What? Consistent with Repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, I'm in the family of God because I'm born a Jew. That's in essence what he's saying here. For I tell you this, that God's able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. The axe is ready at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus in chapter 7 Kind of similar thing here where he talks about a tree is known by its fruit. If you skip down kind of to the middle here where it starts in verse 18 where it says this, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will recognize them by their fruit. And then verse 21, look what he does here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who confesses my name will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does what? The will of my Father in heaven. And what is that? It's fruit. Obedience. It's it's an outward reality that's also speaking to an inward change that's happened. You see it. In chapter 13, verse 8, right before Jesus does this parable of the soils, and uh, it says there in the first couple verses, if you guys remember this, it says that there's a large crowd that was following Jesus, enormous crowd. And so Jesus got into a boat, went out into the middle of a lake in order for the, the crowd to hear him because it was so big. And then he shares this parable of the soils, and what I think he's also doing there, especially with Matthew adding that detail of a large crowd, what he's doing there is basically saying, look, I'm not after this. I'm not after a thousand people following me. This is what I'm after. Verse 8: Still other other seed fell on good ground and and produced fruit. Fruit. Some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times that was sown. Let anyone who has ears Listen, so I'm getting ready to say something that's a massive understatement, right? It's like so obvious, like you don't even need to state this, but I'm just going to state it anyway. Jesus cares about how you live. The grace of Jesus does not cancel how you live in this life. He cares how you treat your spouse. He cares about how you treat your children. He cares about how you treat your neighbors. He cares about how you do your work. He cares about what you think about, what you listen to, what what you pay attention to. Like, Jesus cares about what we do on Monday. I mean, I know that's like, duh, but I don't know if we really do realize that at times. And it matters a lot. But here's, here's the kind of kicker with this. Is, like anyone that was living in first century, when they would look at uh, these religious leaders that we all look at with very um, like, mm-hmm. eh, we don't like them. Right? And this time, they, they were like the example of what it really looked like to follow God. I mean, it, it, like they were just, they were, they were the kind of, you know, hey, if you want to know what it looks like to be devout and holy and godly, then then they, they pointed to these guys. I mean, they don't ever miss worship. They kept the Sabbath. They knew and read their Bibles. They fasted. Their prayer lives would put mine to shame and probably yours also. And Jesus looked right at them in the parable previous to this one and said this, I'm taking it away from you and giving it to a people that will produce its fruit. Which means that the fruit these leaders put their confidence in is not the fruit that's in line with the heart of God or the fruit of the kingdom of God. So I don't know about you, but here's the question I'm asking. I don't want to. I don't want to be at the banquet and not have the the right wedding clothes on, right? What fruit is God after then? What is he wanting to cultivate in his kids and his children? I mean, we can look at the Sermon on the Mount. That's a great place to start. You can look at um, repentance, right? That's a a fruit that God's wanting to cultivate in his children where, man, when we're exposed to, to what, you know, when we walk into the light and we see things, we're exposed to things we're blinded to that we're not defensive, we're not dismissive, but that we do, we repent and we long to move our lives more in line with what God wants. You can go to Galatians 5, take a little helicopter out of Matthew and go to Galatians 5 where Paul just talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's who his followers are to be marked by. Or if you just want to stay in Matthew and you want to kind of give a just a real condensed, like what, it, what fruit is Jesus after? When chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus says this, and we'll get to this passage here in a few weeks. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint and dill and cumin, and yet, you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice. I know that's kind of a trigger word in our society, in our culture, it's very, oh man, all kinds of weird stuff happens when we hear that word right now. And we talked about this a few months ago But we have to realize that, man, um, the Old Testament alone, this word comes up over 200 times. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that smart, but something that's repeated over 200 times seems like it might be important, right? Don't you as a parent, whatever's important to you, you say it probably a million times, amen? Like in their 20 years they're with you or whatever, You maybe 30 years they're with you. I don't know, but like in your home is what I mean, not... Whatever. Um, the basic level, justice means to treat people equitably. The justice or the justness of a society, or I would say God's church, is measured by how it protects and cares and treats those who are weak and vulnerable disadvantaged. This, this is the fruit that God wants out of his people. It goes on, mercy. Mercy's definitely closely related to forgiveness, but it, but it is, it's, it's, it's even beyond that. Mercy is a it's a generous attitude that strives to see things from someone else's point of view. Did you hear that? It's a generous attitude that strives, that works to see something from someone else's point of view. This is the fruit that is to mark the people of God. Justice. Mercy. Mercy is, is slow to take offense. Slow to take offense or gloat over another's failings. It doesn't entertain revenge fantasies. Mercy is taking a a less rigid and more loving approach to those we disagree with, or even are at odds with. This is the fruit that Jesus wants from his church. And faithfulness, walking in obedience to God, not just obeying the letter of God's law, but also It's spirit, holiness, purity, body, and heart, living with a deep awareness of our total dependence upon God. This is what he's after. The more important matters of the law were neglected. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. It's not that he's against practices or discipline or tithing. He's all for that. But that's not the weightier matter. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. That's what I want from my people. That's the fruit I'm after. Or a way you can sum it up with one word is love. One writer says it like this, true faith in God's imputed righteousness moves believers to want to be righteous. Not just do righteous things, but want to be righteous. Righteous personally, not as a basis of standing before God, only Jesus can do that, but as an evidence of wanting to please the Father, just like we see in the parable of the two sons, who was gracious enough to invite the gift of the Holy Spirit given with faith, moves believers to want to be holy. And he goes on and says, God wants good people. <laughs> and if we don't want to be good or don't even want to try or don't think it's even necessary to want to try, or if we see the Christian's gospel as simply a making safe, a permission to live as one pleases unconditionally, then hear this. This parable warns. That's the point. Jesus is going, look, there's an The nation of Israel and its leaders made the massive assumption that I'm part of God's family because I'm a Jew. He's coming saying, no, that's not what gets you in. You did not produce the fruit that is consistent with the kingdom of God and the heart of God. It's being taken away from you. And here, just in case we think we're self-righteous and get a little arrogant, this is a message to the new invitees, which is us. We also cannot presume on the grace of God just because I roll into church every Sunday. Or just because I walked an aisle when I was eight years old and prayed a prayer. Just because, you know, I went to confirmation class and did all the steps. That doesn't necessarily mean that you are His child. Look at your fruit. Are you marked by a, a desire to treat those that are um, weaker than you, possibly in different social standings than you, that you want to see them flourish. And you want to be a part of helping that. Do you extend mercy? Are you quick to forgive? Or do you just hold grudges? Are you faithful? So listen to me, I'm not, I don't know, I mean, I feel like, you got to understand, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on in me right now, but I'm not trying to like scare you into something or convince you that you're not a Christian, right? I mean, I grew up Southern Baptist, and I'm so thankful for that, and we're a Southern Baptist church, and But I don't know if you guys remember this, but when I was growing up, we would always have like spring and fall revivals. Anybody was in that system, you know what I'm talking about? So every year you'd have a week long, in case you don't know what this is, it's the most miserable thing in the world for a kid, right? It's like, holy cow, we got to go to church every night. Are you serious, mom? Like this is going to be like death, right? I mean, this is what we did in summer revivals. I went, dude, I went to some that lasted for like hours, not like 90 minutes. Hours. I mean, I'm, and I'm not exaggerating. It's like, this is brutal. But <laughs> here's the thing, and I, and I think there's, there, uh, I just want to be careful. I'm not trying to make fun of this. I had his part, played his part. And I think it's helpful. Yes, I'm not against them. Yeah, just just bear with me here. But normally what would happen, they would invite an evangelist that that this was kind of his job. He would come in and, you know, have these four or five messages that he's honed and crafted. And he goes around the nation and preaches these four or five messages. And when I look back on that and try to reflect upon what was going on in that moment, it just felt like that the goal of the evangelist was to convince you that you weren't saved. All right. And that by the end of the week, man, you're going to get saved. And it's going to be amazing. And then we would... You know, tell the church we had revival, you know, so-and-so, whatever. Are anybody with me there? It's kind of like, that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not. But what I am trying to do is stay consistent with what Jesus is saying in this parable, that there is a warning. There is a warning. And that warning is, is we, we do not want to presume on the grace of God. And what I mean by that is that, yes, we are a church, man, and we will always be this church because it's deep in my DNA. We're going to be a church that amplifies the grace of God. We're going to talk about how the pressure is off. We're going to talk about this one-way love that pursued after you and chased after you. We're going to. Keep talking about Luke chapter 15, where we don't ever get tired of the prodigal son parable, because it's a picture of all of us in this room. And it's also a picture of the heart of the father and how he goes after us and embraces us with unconditional love and acceptance. And we're also going to be a people who do not presume on that grace, because that grace of God, rightly understood, produces in us a hunger, a desire for the fruit of God, for the for the, for the will of the Father, to a hunger for, for holiness, a, a hunger for, for, for godliness, a hunger to be Christ-like, that we're not just satisfied to say, hey, I'm a Christian in name. But no, I want my life to exude Christ-likeness. And I, I want any person I come in contact with to feel as imperfect as it is, that they're, they're in the presence of Jesus. That's what my heart's desire is. And that's my heart's desire for all of us in this room. So, do you have that hunger? Do you want to want to To do the Father's will. (laughs) Did you hear that? Do you want to want? We don't always do the Father's will, but man, when the Spirit of God is in us, there's a want to want that. (laughs) And what fruit really marks your life? I mean, I think there's a lot... That we're gonna learn from 2020, <laughs> I do. Um, this has been a difficult year on so many levels for so many of us, and at minimum, maybe, maybe part of what's happened here is maybe it's awakened all of us um, to kind of the seeds of cultural Christianity that's in, that's in us that I'm just kind of a Christian because that's the cultural thing to do here. Like when you get out in the suburbs, guys, we're a very over-churched area. Pre-COVID, you can walk into any coffee shop in this area and you'd see a half a dozen people reading their Bibles and doing a Bible study. I'm not saying that's bad. Thank God for it. I think it's awesome. It's amazing. But the danger is this, is it can make you make some assumptions that you are a Christian because you know the lingo, you kind of do the things, but your heart is really far from the will of the Father and the desire of the Father. And the fruit that people are experiencing from you is not in line with what the kingdom is about. And so Jesus graciously comes to us with a warning. Hey, pay attention. By the grace of God, do some work. Don't presume on his grace. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.